You're listening to It's In Our Nature, the podcast that celebrates the connections between people and nature, with host Adam McLean, the Nature Conservancy's Missouri State Director. For more information, visit nature.org forward slash Missouri. Hi, everyone. I'm Adam McLean, Missouri State Director for the Nature Conservancy. Thanks for joining us today. This is episode number three of our podcast, where our goal is to share stories that highlight the connection between people and nature and the amazing things that can happen when we work together. And if there was ever a story to tell that falls into that category of amazing and people working with nature instead of against it, this is it. We're excited to be a part of this project and excited to share it with you all today. But before we get started, one request, it's the request I always give in these podcasts. If you like it, please pass it on to somebody else. Joining me in the studio is Barbara Cherry, who's our floodplain and nature-based solutions strategy manager in Missouri. And joining us via Zoom on the other side of the state is Karina Zhang, who's an engineer with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers Omaha District, and Reagan Griffin, who's a board member of the Atchison County Levy District. So today we're going to talk about how these people and a host of other partners and community members moved to Levy. You heard that right. We moved to Levy. So let's jump into it. Reagan, um, first, thanks for joining. And second, um, question-wise, just... Help us all understand Rockport. Where is this place? Just take us there. What's the community like? What makes it special? Yeah, yeah. So Rockport is in the very northwest. Well, actually, first I want to say good morning. Thanks for thanks for having me on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Rockport's in the very northwest corner of the state of Missouri. It's funny, actually, when you talk to some folks, uh, when you start talking about how far up it is, they think, well, wait, we're still in Missouri at that point because we're, we're, our closest big city is actually Omaha, Nebraska. So that's right. You're almost near Canada, I, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, we can, you know, I can see it from my house, as someone once said. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's, I feel like it's one of those towns that's uh, like all the country songs, which is why I think people in small towns like country songs because, you know, there's one traffic light, uh, you know, just, everything revolves around the school revolves around life in the small town. Um, you know, it's, I think the big thing that makes it a special town is, uh, very bonded together. I know we've been kind of growing up here as a town where it felt like we supported the youth well, and we still do, um, just a town that cares for, look after each other, care for one another, uh, and just love to, yeah, love to be people who are good to one another. So I think that describes it well. That's awesome. Well, on the country theme, do you have a dog and a truck? <laughs> no, I, I have a truck. Uh, I haven't got a dog yet, although my two daughters want us to get one soon. So I'm sure that'll happen. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. And you you help run your family farm there. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, came back in 2018 to take over uh Griffin Farms. So I've been doing it for, my family's been in the farming business for about a hundred and, well, since 1860. So uh, fourth manager in that time. So it's been a long time. Wow. Okay. And then I'm also going to jump over here to um, Karina. So Karina, welcome. Do you want to introduce yourself just a little bit? And then I want to hear about how you were brought onto the project. Yes. Good morning. And thank you guys so much uh, for the opportunity to come and chat with you guys. It's like I'm getting to hang out with all my good friends here. Um, and yeah, great question of um, when we when I was brought onto this project. So I um, I was brought on uh, you know pretty early in the project. Um, so I work with the core um, and um, 
my role was one of the resident engineers. So I'm on the construction side uh, of the core. And one of my earliest memories I remember was actually working with Reagan. And it was a bunch of us engineers. And I think it was like the Levy District. And this was after we had decided, uh, um, you know, realigning the levy was a good idea or setting it back. And we were in like this little office and somebody like put a Sharpie in somebody's hand and said, okay, where would you draw it? And we were, we were looking and trying to draw out like, so what would, what makes sense? And, um, you know, I remember talking about all of the real estate and all of the different landowners, you know, being part of the conversation. And um, I, I remember talking to, uh, to a few people and, you know, people's faces were like, oh, that's not going to work. That alignment's not going to work. And, um, and then when we finally landed on it, we started moving forward. Uh, but that was probably the earliest when we were just thinking about, would, would this even work? Is this going to, is this going to work? I'm mindful that I'm sitting here thinking like we've had this, we've talked this language for two years on the project, a levy, a levy district, a levy board, a setback, a all of this stuff. And um, I'm mindful that a lot of the viewer or the, a lot of the listeners probably have no idea what we're talking about. So um, let's do that together and then kind of deep dive into the project and the set. So maybe I'll go back to Reagan. Reagan, would you just tell us what a a levy district is and how it comes into play within your community? Yeah, yeah. So the Ashton County Levy District is responsible for the uh, 56 roughly miles of levy uh, that sits along the Missouri River, which is all along the west side of our county. Um, and so we were formed in the late 1940s, early 1950s as the federal levy program was getting started. Um, and so originally the group was there to basically kind of work with local landowners to say, hey, where can we build this levy? Uh, kind of like Karina was saying, get the Sharpie out, but back in the you know 40s and 50s and say, where do we want this levy to set? And, and work with local landowners to compensate them for that ground. Uh, and then since that time, it's the levy district or levy board's job to um, continue to do maintenance, uh, upkeep of the levies. Uh, and then a big piece is just the, the personal interactions and, and the connection with the Corps of Engineers who, uh, you know, basically is the, the arm of, you know, making the levies work and, and continuing to, to make sure that, you know, they're all protected. Awesome. All right. And then before even getting into the project, you know, I kind of skipped us ahead. So I'm sorry about that, Karina. I was like, let's get into the, the details of the project. But why? why? Why was a project even needed? Why did we have to draw things on a map and say, will this even work? Um, talk to us about the flood of in 2019. Reagan or Karina. Yeah. Do you want to oh, go, go for it, Reagan. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. I mean, you know, the 2019 flood was, I mean, by far the worst flood we've experienced um, in Northwest Missouri. Uh, we had one in 2011. It was interesting. There's a meeting in uh, November of 2018 where John Remus, who uh, is chief of, I can't remember his title. I'm sure Karina could correct me, uh, but he basically manages uh, the river, uh, Missouri River uh, for the Corps of Engineers. But he had a meeting uh, in November of that year. And a lot of local farmers and levy district people at the time got together. And I remember over and over people saying this feels, feels a lot like uh, the fall of 2010, uh, which 2011 was the last really bad flood we had. And so there's already some sense of, okay, 2019 could be a bad year. Uh, had a lot of uh, the soil was very uh, saturated, had a lot of uh, water on the levees uh, the previous year. And then that 
uh, that winter through 2018 to 2019 had a lot of snowpack up north. And so there's some apprehension. And I mean, even the core was warning this could be a really bad year. And then in March of that year is when the bomb cyclone hit, uh, which uh, just absolutely dumped a ton of, ton of rain on the area, melted a lot of snow that was already uh, expected to hit, but then all of a sudden hit at one time. And it was just a kind of a perfect storm that, that really um, nailed us at that time. Wow. And what, how, what did, how long did it last, that flooding, and what was the impact on the community? Yeah, well, so, I mean, the orig- original uh, hit was in about March 15th uh, when the waters first started overtopping our levees and, you know, probably uh, had our first breaches uh, within about three or four days of that. Uh, and so that was March, but, I mean, we had flood waters at least to October, November in certain areas. So it was, uh, it was the longest flood we've ever experienced. I mean, usually, you know, you're talking maybe a few weeks of that, but I think it was an uh, all six plus months of water in some areas uh, standing, which was just really, really devastating. Um, I mean, we're an agricultural area, so, you know, a lot of the places that were hit uh, were farming, um, uh, you know, for, for farm ground, but, you know, also just even uh, we had a local elevator that was flooded and absolutely destroyed in a lot of ways, took a lot of money to build that back. Uh, and then just other businesses, uh, the railroads, another thing, uh, uh, BNSF has a railroad that runs right through the middle of our county, and that was shut down for a long time, which, I mean, the thing you saw that there's always BNSF guys out there trying to fix that, because, I mean, that's kind of a main artery uh, through the center of the country, uh, even shipping coal. I know there for a while, I heard the stories, I'm not fully true, but uh, they're responsible for bringing coal into certain cities for uh, powering them, and I think there's uh, there's talk for a while, even the federal government having to basically kind of take over to help with that, because they're worried that they could get to the places they need to, so just a lot a lot of stuff was was on the ropes at that point. Wow. Barbara, I remember, I think, you driving through that area, right? Weren't I you did. traveling I was, com- I was. I was coming down in May from a high school graduation um, visit and saw all the flooding. And I'd heard about the flood in March, and it was May. And it was like looking out at a lake. And I said, this is supposed to be a river. I was blown away. And I-29 was still um, closed in some areas. We yeah. had to detour around. Yeah. And, um, and just grain yeah. silos. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, grain everywhere. It was it was really devastating and and really uh, made a big impression on me. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, we get to get to the uplifting part of this whole thing because um, I know that was tragic and had a tremendous impact on the community. And Karina then gets to step in and say, "Okay, let's pull that sharpie marker out. Let's start thinking about how to repair this." Right, Karina. Yeah. And um, to help give folks an understanding of what drove, like, why did it make sense to set the levee back? Uh, the Corps of Engineers, uh, it, the, the levee systems um, are driven by public law 8499, also known as PL 8499. And the damages really drive the technical solution that the Corps executes. And uh, when we think through, as an engineer, you think through, you have a problem, and then you have variables and constraints, and then you think of what are the solutions to that problem. And so when when we were approached with this problem, uh, it, the levy itself, the old levy, was so damaged that when we considered, well, what would be the least cost and technically acceptable solution, actually making a new levy uh, started making sense. Uh, to give some context, the the old levy on uh, levy system L536 
uh, the, the Atchison County uh, levy, um, the overall damages for the existing levy was over 11 miles if you included all the breaches and all of the damages to the, the old levy system. So when we were thinking about it, over 11 miles of damage, and then you compare it to, well, what if we built a new levy and that's about the, the new alignment was four and a half new miles of levy. You start thinking that could cost uh, uh, that could ca cost less. Um, and when we did the analysis, that's what ended up uh, making sense. And so, um, what was really risky though was uh, taking a strategic pause and saying, "Well, that means we're not going to close the breaches right away." Uh, the other levy systems, we started initially just closing breaches one after the other. But in order for this to stay the least cost, technically feasible solution, uh, we we took a year to develop the real estate of what that new alignment would look like. And so that took some time, but we all collectively agreed that even though that risk is worth uh, this investment, essentially. And so when when everybody was on board with that, knowing the risks that, okay, we're not going to close the levy breaches but we are going to make this new levy and, and the, the levy sponsor was on board. You know, the community was on board. All of our local stakeholders were on board. So that's when a lot of momentum started happening. And, uh, and it was really cool to watch everybody like come together. Uh, it, it just, we didn't skip, skip a beat, even though there were a lot of challenges as I'm sure Reagan and Barb uh, could talk at length about. <laughs> Well, and I'm just for because um, it was so I knew all about this project and I had seen aerial photography and images and all sorts of things. But until I actually got there to see the size and scope of this, um, it is really, really something. Um, and it's hard to capture in words. But in terms of a levy setback, trying to make that a familiar or breaches even to a levy familiar to the audience. I, I did a lot of sandcastle building in my days um, by the ocean. And so you you'd build this giant wall for your sandcastle and you had your little front entrance and then the tide would start coming up a little bit and slowly but surely that just starts getting undermined and then finally, boom, it blows out. So that's a lot of what would occur with a levy, right? And then so we moved the sandcastle back by... 15 feet um, so that that tide wasn't going to get there or when it did, it was just going to barely be touching. Is that an accurate capture to the general public other than it not being an ocean and it's not sand? I get that. I love that analogy. Yeah. I was actually talking to one of my uh, uh, colleagues, Lowell, uh, Lowell Blankers. He's another engineer. And he said, you know, the, the simple engineering description is you moved the levee. And so if you, yeah, like your little, like the sandcastle, you can, you know, almost, um, you know, if you pinch your fingers together, when you look, you know, close to your eye and you, you, you pinch it and then you move it, that's really what happened to the levee. Um, and it seems very simple, but when you start thinking about all of the different things that are involved in order to make that happen, you have to find a lot of a lot of dirt, essentially, a lot of material. Uh, that's clay, that's sand, that's topsoil. There's a lot of real estate coordination. There's environmental compliance that needs to happen. There's contractual um, obstacles that happen or just writing the contract in general. 
Um, there is creating a new foundation that also has to happen for the new levy. So there's a lot of, um, there, there's just a lot that goes in. It's not just, uh, you know, pitching it with your fingers and then moving it. Uh, there, there's a lot more that goes in. And for some context of the amount of material uh, that was moved, um, the the new levy alignment took it. We've moved almost 2 million cubic yards of material. Uh, and just for some context, that would almost fill the AT&T Stadium um, uh, where the Dallas Cowboys um, meet. So it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of dirt, a lot of dirt. Thank you for that description. Barb, I'm going to pull you in here too. Cause I think, you know, as Karina described that moment in time where it started making sense that it was possible that a levy setback might be feasible and economically viable in this situation. That's kind of when, about the time you got pulled in, does that sound right? Well, we were, we were pulled in, um, really pretty early on. I think it was June um, when we started the inquiries that, you know, one of the big issues for a levy setback is the need for real estate, you know, for the new footprint and then all the land that's going to be on the riverside of the new levy. Um, and so that was a big consideration and, and a big problem to solve. Um, so um, that was the initial reason we were pulled in. And um, it just seemed like such a compelling idea and such an incredible project um, that I, back in August of 19, I pulled together a whole bunch of partners to say, okay, this is an incredible idea, an incredible opportunity. This is something the community really, really wants. How can we all come together and make it, make it work? Um, so we had started having that discussion in August um, with that meeting in St. Joe. And, uh, and then we continued to meet. And that was kind of the Nature Conservancy's role is you know, trying to help figure out the real estate component and then bringing people together and convening meetings. And we just started meeting regularly in small groups and in large groups and um, encountering problems and, and challenges and figuring out ways to address them um, as we went on you know, month by month um, through the process. That's awesome. So this is a huge project. Did you, were there moments in time, you know, Karina spoke to some of the challenges um, in brief, but was there a moment in time that you were like, yeah, this can never happen? Yeah, there, too were, big. there were a lot of moments in time like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it was a really big project. And honestly, in talking to lots of people, there, you know, a lot of shaking heads of, yeah, this will never happen. Yep. And so that was actually good going into this with eyes wide open saying, you know, this is really worth doing. It's worth learning about. If we can make this happen, it will be such an incredible opportunity for the community. Um, but we know it's a big challenge and, and it may not happen. And so that kept us going um, with realistic ideas. And, and um, um, but, but we kept going and kept solving problems. And every time we think, OK, we've got this figured out, and then there being something else that we needed to address and learn, because it's really a learning experience for everybody involved. Right. Um, and we and we kept solving problems and, and it's just incredibly excited to ha have a levy on the ground now protecting that community. Wow. Well, this is I know um, having seen this project move forward that there were a tremendous number of partners and with a, a win like this and successful completion. Um, do you want to name some of those partners and they I can share I, it? I sure do. I mean, this is the ultimate partnership project. It was just an incredible effort. And each partner really had a really critical role, and I really want to give a shout out to all of them. Um, there was the Northwest Missouri Council of Governments, and they were really incredible on, on helping in the local level, helping with grant opportunities, environmental and economic assessments. Um, and then there's the Missouri River Recovery Program, and they were instrumental in providing land and material for building that new levy. 
Um, the Natural Resources Conservation Service was also critical. They were um, helping with enrolling landowners in conservation easements. And so this was a, a way to compensate the landowners for the now Riverside land. They have a really important program called the Emergency Watershed Program Floodplain Easement. Um, and this is disaster funds that come after the 2019 fund Congress appropriates them and makes them available through NRCS. So that was a really important role. Um, the Department of Natural Resources in Missouri, they were a real problem solver and they helped coordinate all the state agencies that um, were involved um, and worked with the governor as well. And then the Missouri Department of Conservation provided funds for real estate as well as the um, State Emergency Management Agency. Again, they were key for um, providing funding for real estate um, through appropriations by the legislature um, that they had made to help levy boards and levy districts around the state recover from the 2019 flood. So it was, it was a great effort and, wow. and each and each of those and all the staff for those different agencies um, really brought their A-game. I mean, they were really tremendous um, problem solvers and, and team players. Wow. I, there's a quote, I don't know who said it, but I, um, I, it always comes to mind in moments like that, which is many hands make light work. Um, and it sounds like that was required for this levy district and I mean, for this levy itself. And then it also sounds like, I mean, there has to be a Venn diagram that had this project sitting right in the middle of that many different missions and future, you know, goals for the future. Is that rare? Or do you think that that Venn diagram exists elsewhere too? I think it exists elsewhere for sure. And I think, you know, the key role that the Nature Conservancy was able to play, because as a nonprofit, we could bring all those different groups together um, and look at it holistically. You know, each of the agencies have these incredible missions and they provide different components. Um, and But bringing that Venn, Venn overlap part together was kind of our role. And um, I, I really do think it could be replicated elsewhere. Wow. Reagan, so that what was it like for, I'm imagining this moment in time where the, the line gets drawn on a map and the engineering begins and it all makes sense and they start to do a cost analysis. But there's landowners involved and a community involved in a new kind of project. What was that like when when you went back to the community in the levy district, started talking to the community and landowners around about this idea? Yeah, I know I was I was pretty apprehensive. I mean, we, you know, like I mentioned before, 2011 had a flood, 93 had a flood, I had high water events in between those years. And I would just say the general approach uh, has been always don't give an inch, you know, kind of just put back in place. We, we gave you your, you know, we gave you the levy 70 years ago, you're good. Um, and, you know, I think in general, the thought was, man, if we start giving up, they're just going to basically want more ground or, you know, we're, we're, we're benefiting, um, you know, nature groups with just giving up stuff, you know, kind of that sense of us versus them, unfortunately, mentality. Um, but, you know, really when we went to the landowners and start talking to them, one, I mean, you know, we looked at this just like Barb was saying, I mean, this was one of those uh, opportunities that benefited, you know, groups that maybe wouldn't normally be on the same side together. Um, but then also, I mean, in looking at it, we, we kind of realized too, this is our best chance for helping some of our landowners in the way they've been affected by the flood. I mean, they were, uh, there's some ground that was just absolutely devastated. I'm looking back even at the 2011 flood, we had landowners, the same thing happened. And again, didn't try for a setback. I don't think it would have probably qualified then anyways, uh, the way, the way it, where it was broken at. Um, but, you know, there's landowners who are still not able to use that ground. You know, it's still a pile of sand in a lot of places. And so our thought was we're, we're helping our local landowners the best we can. We're helping the 
you know, by and large, the community and the landowners in the area, because we're, we're hoping to give them better resiliency in a flood, hopefully in the future. And then, yeah, all the other partners who are coming together, everyone's kind of getting a part that they get to see something, a, a key part of what they're trying to advance happen. And so it kind of felt like this is, this is a, a perfect moment to do this. So Karina, help us fast forward to today and, and, where the project currently is and but i do you do have to go backwards a little bit and talk about dr the dredging the sand from the from the river part of solving a challenge because that's just too cool a story not to share um but then after you do that take us to present day up there what work still remains yes this project from a construction you know perspective was just so cool and innovative I'm going to geek out a little bit here, hey. um, but yes, <laughs> but if you think about going back, how do you move 2 million cubic yards of material um, or approximately 2 million yards of material, you have to find that material from somewhere. And so that includes sand for your seepage berms, which is uh, on the land side of, of the levee um, cross section. And we realized early on that we don't have enough sand actually to complete this. And so we were working with everybody. I remember we went into our uh, meeting where there's like 20 different people um, you know, that Barb is leading here. And we were thinking, you know, we really need, we really need sand. And so uh, it was actually one of, um, uh, one of our leads in the field, his name's TJ Davey. And he said, well, how about we dredge the, um, you know, the sand seepage berms? We had already used this in a different form early on in our previous projects where we closed the breaches using dredging because it wasn't accessible via land. And so that was the, the best way to actually close the breaches quickly. And we thought, well, if we could close breaches, maybe we can dredge in place the sand seepage berms. And so... That took a lot of coordination with um, ensuring that we are compliant with uh, environmental regulations. I remember Drew uh, Bunton from from MDNR making a call to help us like expedite this permit that we needed. Uh, otherwise, we were going to lose our window to to dredge because you only have a short window um, when you can do the, these sort of activities uh, in order not to impact um, like the. Uh, from an environmental perspective and then also from like a transportation perspective, like there's freights that go up and down the river too. And um, we actually got it done. Like we pulled it off and I remember that dread coming in and uh, we figured out where it would be least impactful to get the sand material. And uh, we made, uh, so if you think about it, there's a, a slurry. So there's water and sand that is being, um, dredged out and it's going through this giant kind of vacuum tube so to speak and and then it goes in place uh where uh where we put it and so in order to contain the water we made these uh, we called it containment berms on either side and made sure that the water went into these ditches that were already existing and then they go out back into the river and when the water uh comes out and the sand settles you're left with fully compacted uh, sand seepage berms. And so they were, it was phenomenal. It was excellent material. And it was so cool to, to see it happen. You saw my, um, not miles, but a lot of pipeline 
um, from the river going into this levee and it had never been done before. And a lot of people were very skeptical. They thought, is this, is this even possible? The entire group, whenever some sort of innovative idea happened, it's like, why not? Why not try it? Uh, so I, I loved it. I was, Karina, I, I could have told him it would work because of drip castles, right? So I'm going back to my, ca- come on, that's my only engineering that I've ever done in my life probably is clearly and obviously building sandcastles by the ocean, but the slurry is really like a drip castle, right? So you were just vacuuming drip castle material and spraying it on top. That's it. That's it. Um, you know, sim- simple concept there. Uh, kids do it all the time, right? Uh-huh. Yes, that could, that's, it'll just be the explanation whenever whenever you try and do innovative things in the future and you get pushback from other engineers, just turn it into a childhood story and about sandcastles or something. And I'm, I'm sure they'll be like, oh, that makes sense. Absolutely. That's how I'm going to try to live my life as, as childlike as possible. Um, but yeah, so to continue on uh, with where, we're, where we are, so we um, so we. Are, are, are pretty close to the end. We actually have, believe it or not, we have a levy in the new alignment. If you look on um, you, you know, like Google imagery, you'll see the old levy alignment and now you see the new levy alignment in place. It's, it's so cool. Uh, we are, uh, we're, we're pretty close to the finish line. So in March was our big push to uh, achieve a full height levy you know, cross section and then get fully encapsulated by, by mid-March. And we were successful in that. And everybody had a part in it, every agency, everybody on the ground. A lot of the local um, landowners and the local farmers actually were the operators that helped build this levy. So that was huge. Um, it, they were directly invested in making this happen. And we, um, yeah, we're pretty close. We're, we're right now. Uh, just finishing up the sand seepage berms and placing topsoil. Uh, and then we're going to be uh, seeding and just restoring the ground in between the old and the new levee. So it's a lot of restoration activities. We're looking to be complete um, in the summertime this year, which is pretty incredible. If you think about when the flood happened um, back in 2019, in two years, completing it, that's, uh, that's wild. That's wild. That is incredible. Um, thanks for sharing that story, Karina. And, um, I, you know, I was trying to recap and then maybe I'll hand it to you, Barbara, to let us know the nature side of what the impact will be on the river side and potentially for nutrients and that stuff. But in recapping, so we had 2019, you know, that, that two year window that you're talking about, 2019, multiple breaches in this section, then um, deciding in partnership with the community and the levy district that, boy, this is really viable to do this setback, then full construction of that. And when you were talking about operators of the community helping in these, I mean, that is heavy duty machinery from all around that's coming and moving dirt and moving dirt and moving dirt. And then now you're sitting in a spot where it's um, it's been realigned it's back um it's complete on the one side and you're working on you know the other the non-river side just wrapping that side up all within two years is that right that's a great summary i also forgot this is a key detail uh but i forgot to mention that in between that time when we were moving dirt uh the the midwest got hit with a polar vortex uh, (laughs) i I believe most of y'all experienced where it was like negative 20 for, 
for like several days uh, and then just freezing cold um, for, gosh, it was like weeks, I, uh, I feel like. Um, but I, I got to hand it off to the team who continue to be innovative. And they came up with this idea to use these giant tents uh, where you can put uh, thousands of cubic yards in. We had eight tents that were spread around, around the site. And uh, we pumped them full of heat with heaters. I remember it was, gosh, it was, you know, it was pretty cold, like, you know, in the single digits. But And you would go in one of these tents. And I remember reading the temperature. It was like close to 80 degrees in there. So that was the job that people wanted um, when that was happening to, you know, help man the tents. Uh, but that really helped us to uh, keep maintaining our momentum because once the cold let up, we were able to continue directly placing. Uh, otherwise, if we wouldn't have had those, we would have been stalled for several weeks, no doubt. Um, but, but yeah. Well, and I saw those tents um, on that visit. And so listeners, if you were to think about like your little gazebo tent that you use at sporting events or whatever that have the little frame that goes up on the side, multiply that times like 3 million. Uh, and that's probably the size of it. It was like two football fields would fit inside there. A football field. What was it, Karina? Was it a football field would fit inside each one of those tents and you had like 10 of them? I want to say it was, oh, I can't remember the actual amount, but you can fit a giant excavator in there and dozers. And, and so you can think about moving that. I think it was approximately two or three football fields, something like that. Okay, Barbara. We've talked infrastructure on the site and the design of the levee itself, um, but there. But we're also talking about digging soils out and replacing them, and then having what a thousand new acres inside that are now connected to the levee or connected to the river. Is that yeah that, accurate? That's right. That's right. So doing this levee setback, we're ending up uh, reconnecting over a thousand acres of land that was. Um, landward of the old levee is now riverward of the new levee and reconnected to the river. Um, so this has incredible environmental benefits and it's been seen in other, other places where, where um, land's been reconnected to the rivers and restored um, just an incredible amount of uh, habitat. I mean, floodplain, floodplain habitat is incredibly rich. It is just um, high value for lots of animals. Um, one of the things that happens is um, the fish species really do um, great in there. They spawn. It's nurseries. And so that in turn provides a ton of food for yeah. birds and mammals. Um, and so it's just a, an incredible place for, for um, nesting animals and feeding and migrating animals. And so um, this area is actually, it's actually where the Mississippi and the Central Flyway come together up on the Missouri River in that area. And so you've got a tremendous amount of waterfowl that are migrating through and they are hungry. They need, they need a lot of energy to make it up and down on their trips. So um, we've seen, you know, in these places that there's a lot of response and a lot of use. And when a levee is restored, all that land and they're excavating and building, they're creating these small um, depressions that are mimicking and, and become wetlands. Right where where all that food and, and feeding can happen. So that's part of the construction process is recreating those wetlands and then allowing things to sort of naturally uh, vegetate and and restore that way. Um, and we know on the Missouri River um, because it's levee, there, there's not a lot of these um, floodplain pools. 
And so they're really important places for wildlife, for migrating birds um, along the Missouri River. So this is really um, creating a lot more of that habitat. Um, and then also water quality. That's another, you know, another really key um, benefit for nature and for people too, actually. Just that story you're talking about, the, um, the seepage berms for the, um, the dredged material, you know, it's the same thing. When, when the waters come in uh, to a floodplain, the, all the water slows down and all that sediment and material that's in the water settles out just as, as you use to create the, the new levee that's happening in the floodplain. Um, and so those sediments, which are um, have a lot of nutrients in them, they settle out, out on floodplains and help clean the water. So it's you know contributing to cleaner water, which is which is another great benefit of this project. Wow, Reagan, can you tell me your favorite place to eat breakfast in Rockport without getting in trouble with other people that have breakfast places up there? <laughs> unfortunately, there's there's a few places that are opening up. I haven't tried. There's a new place in Bolinal I need to try out. But unfortunately, we had a lot of restaurants closed because of the flood. Uh, at least. Uh, kind of two. And so unfortunately that was one of them that I like. So I need to try out the bowl island. Otherwise it's McDonald's usually, which you wouldn't really call a good breakfast place. I'm not going to call it that. So. Okay. Well you go to this breakfast place, whichever one it happens to be, whether it's McDonald's or the bowling alley, is that what you said it was called? Yep. Okay. So, okay. So you go sit in the bowling alley for breakfast and have a cup of coffee and there's a lot of other people sitting around having a cup of coffee and they're talking about this project and how it all happened and um, whether they feel good about it or whether there's still anxiety or um, what does that coffee talk sound like right now in a community the size of Rockport? I, mean, I think the big thing is just the hope for we're not going to be doing this again in five or ten years and I mean you know there's a lot of issues climate change whatever that might be causing this to happen more regularly but our hope was in doing this project that we were not going to be fighting the same fight over and over, which we've been fighting now for years. Uh, but that, you know, this section of levee, at least, we're not going to have to, okay, we had another catastrophic fail there, the next flood, but that, you know, potentially it moved back and we don't even have flooding there. Or if we do, you know, that this new levee, the design of it, the, the way it was built, that it's going to stand up. And so our hope is that, yeah, the landowners down there feel, hey, we're secure for, you know, these, these have been staying for 67 years. We're, we're good for another 67 plus years, uh, you know, being protected. What would you tell other levy boards or communities that, um, you know, look to this as a, hmm, is this something that we should consider? What would you tell those groups or how to go about even starting thinking about a process like this? Um. I mean, you know, and it's kind of like I was just saying, I think the big thing was we just, we said, we've got to do something different. Um, you know, we, we don't, and I'm sure a lot of communities feel like this who've experienced floods or flooding, you know, 2019, maybe 2011, maybe 93, similar to us or, or other, or, you know, kind of moments like that, that, you know, you can keep fighting that same area, keep, you know, hey, we're going to figure out how to, you know, put this right back together where it is. And then, you know, the next flood potentially have to deal with that same spot. Or you can say, hey, let's use the, opportunity to, to, to look at other options for solving this situation. Um, and, and that's what we did. Thankfully we had a, you know, the rest of the board was on board for that. Thankfully the, the community members, the, the landowners specifically, but other folks that we were working with were, were behind it. And I mean, I'd say the biggest thing, you know, you asked Barb, you asked Karina kind of, but I mean, we, we, this would not have happened without the partners involved. And we're so thankful for TNC and all the work that they did. 
uh, the core as well. I mean, worked with we feel like some great folks, Karina and others at the core. Uh, but yeah, I mean, even felt very supported and, and backed by our governor, uh, Governor Parson and, and, and Drew Button at DNR and so many different agencies saying, hey, we want to help make this happen because I mean, this is a lot of money, the real estate piece and, and you know, putting it all together. It was, it was a lot of money that a, a, labor, a labor district like ours just doesn't have the money to do that. But thankfully, we had, you know, bigger groups and bigger agencies who were willing to say, hey, if you guys are actually willing to do this, we're willing to come alongside you. Uh, and, and I mean, that's a big piece is just, you know, it's it's not it doesn't have to be owned by your local community. I think if you start reaching out, I think there's groups that will, will help make this happen if you start asking the right people and, and getting there. Love it. And since Reagan started talking about hopes um, for the project and for it lasting a long time and hopes within the community, I'll I'll ask Karina and Barbara both about what are your hopes from this project. So, Barbara, you want to go first and then I'll hand it over to Karina. Sure. So, you know, I really I really hope that this this project inspires people to find solutions uh, for their community um, that really improve their lives, improve habitat, benefit nature. Um, and that they reach out to develop partnerships, um, and that when things are difficult, it doesn't mean they're impossible. Um, there's always a way to get things done. You know, just what Reagan was saying. You know, with community leadership and reaching out. Um, you know, really, that's that's the most important ingredient is that community leadership. Great, <laughs> Karina. What are you? What are your hopes for this project moving forward, or what what was learned from this project, or what is learned from the project? Tell tell me about the hopes. Man, great question. I really want to echo what Barb said. And my hope when people look at this project is they see it and say, we can overcome big obstacles too. That there's nothing too big that can't be overcome. Uh, and, and, they, and to bring people with them. Like you really need, you, you need everybody. You can't, there was no way this project could have been done just with one entity. There's, there's no way. And big problems that, that a lot of people face, that a lot of you know, different agencies will face, you, you need everybody and that you're on the same team. That I, yeah, my hope is that when people look at this, they see that even though all of these different agencies had different priorities or different resources, we were all on the same team and that we all wanted each other to win just as much as we want to have our priority met too. Uh, but yeah, you, you need each other. We all need each other. Well, any last words that anybody wants to share with or talk to about the partnership or anything else about this project before we kind of wrap up this story? You know, I just want to, I just want to thank everybody. You know, I want to thank everybody for coming together um, for the partners for being honest and, and digging deep for solutions, um, being willing to take chances and going above and beyond. You know, those are big lifts for everybody involved. And I really want to thank them um, for seeing what was possible. And, and again, the success of the project was really due to, to each agency and each person, and Karina and Reagan and, you know, all, all the others. So thank you. Reagan or Karina? I, I just say kind of, I mean, even Barbara was mentioning earlier about the hope piece. I know one of the things we were even hopeful to help, you know, be a pilot program, I guess you would say, of, again, helping communities realize you don't have to keep doing the same thing over and over. There's opportunities to, to kind of change and help set yourself to be more resilient. 
Um, and so that was even one of our things going into this is, is realizing, I mean, this, this doesn't happen normally and there's a reason why all this, all the hoops we had to jump through, you know, it's pretty difficult. So hopefully the next time someone decides, Hey, I'd like to maybe look at doing one of these, the, the blueprints there, we know how to do it now. And, you know, you know, you guys at TNC or other agencies can step in and say, Hey, it's, it's not reinventing the wheel. We can do this. Oh man. They all, everything that you guys said. Um, I also do just want to thank everybody who's listening right now, uh, who took the time and wanted to listen. And then, uh, and the, the leadership of all of the different agencies, they helped support us whenever we would make decisions, you know, they, they really supported us and were behind us. And I think, uh, you know, good leadership sometimes is hard to come by and the leadership of all of these different agencies were, were very instrumental. And so they, they all know who they are and we all appreciate them. Well, I am going to um, share something, Karina, with Karina and Barbara, um, that's kind of personal. I have an 11-year-old daughter named Morgan who loves to build stuff and is like, she's strong-willed. And so seeing you two, like in your leadership positions within this project, just like rocking out a levy and figuring out new problems and how to move them forward is like an incredible role model, like to look up to and because and, she thinks about, you know, out in the world, what is it that I can and can't do? What are my skill sets going to allow me to do? And seeing people like you leading these kinds of projects is really, really cool. So thank you for that leadership and um, for rocking this kind of stuff out for future generations to look at and go, yeah, I can do that. I can build levies. Heck yeah, I'm on it. I'd like to second that. I think got some quality women working here. With us. Agreed. Well, thank you all very, very much. I know Zoom is difficult to do these things on too. And so you taking the time to share this story, I think is um, really remarkable. I want to share all my gratitude for the partnership that created this project. And I share all of these hopes that you all share, um, in particular, that it works. And it works for a long, 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 long time. Um, because I think that's a pathway forward to seeing more and more of these happen in the right places throughout that system. And I want to thank uh, everybody that listened today. And if you have if you have a desire to dig a little bit deeper into this project, pun not intended, but it's a pretty good one. Um, for more information on the project, go to nature.org forward slash Mo River Levy, Levy with two E's. And for more info about the Nature Conservancy and what we do, you can visit, visit nature.org forward slash Missouri. So thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can catch future episodes. <laughs>